the date was January 28, 1986, the place Cape Canaveral, Florida. At 11.38 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Space Shuttle Challenger lifted off into the sky with seven people on board. But not everyone was filled with anticipation and excitement about the launch of the Challenger. In fact, leading up to that fateful morning, NASA received warnings about the safety of the launch. One of the voices expressing concern was that of engineer Bob Ebeling, uh, who was greatly concerned about the low temperatures forecasted for that crisp January morning. It was going to be too cold. And the, the rubber O-rings that were made to seal the joints between the booster rocket's segments would not do well in cold weather. He knew this. After Ebling's death in 2016, the New York Times published an article. Here's an excerpt from it. During the afternoon and evening before the launch, Thiokol Engineers, it's one of the engineer companies that helped with the rocket, or the, the shuttle, relying on data provided by Mr. Ebling and his colleagues, argued passionately for a postponement of the launch in conference calls with NASA managers at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida and the Mar Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama. They were overruled, not only by NASA, but also by their own managers. See, despite warnings from engineers who knew this space shuttle well, for whatever reason, NASA felt pressured to go ahead with the launch. You could speculate as to the reason for that pressure people have. But regardless, the, the Challenger took off at 11.38 a.m. and 73 seconds into the flight appeared to explode, killing all seven on board. Decades later, Ebling told NPR, I was one of the few that was really close to the situation. Had they listened to me and waited for a weather change, it might have been a completely different outcome. Instead, Ebling's warnings went unheeded, and what resulted in what is one of the most famous tragedies in recent U.S. history. A tragedy that haunted Ebling until he died. Friends, wise warnings ignored can lead to disaster. Wise warnings ignored can lead to disaster. And we see that same truth this morning in our text in the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open your app or pick up your hard copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. If you go to about Halfway in your Bible, you see Psalms, most likely. Uh, this is the book right after Psalms. Last week, we began a new series working our way through this Old Testament book. We began by looking at an overview of the book and studying the first seven verses, which was sort of a preamble to the book as a, as a whole. And today, we're going to continue on and see the rest of chapter one. So, by way of reminder, or if you weren't here last week, basically, the structure of Proverbs is that, is that the first nine chapters serve as sort of lessons, discourses, about foolishness and wisdom, and sort of lessons to persuade a young man listening to take the way of wisdom. And then in chapters 10 through 31, mostly, we see the actual Proverbs of Proverbs, these short, profound, pithy sayings about life. They're sort of case studies for the, the teaching about wisdom and foolishness in chapters 1 through 9 to be worked out in real life. And the whole purpose of Proverbs is to convince us that wisdom is the path we should take 
and then to show us what that path will look like in certain areas of life. What is wisdom? So many good definitions have been offered. Uh, last week we considered a broad definition of wisdom in relation to this book, and, and this is what we came up with. Wisdom is the right view of God and his world, and living life in light of it. Wisdom is the right view of God and his world, and then living life in light of that view. And today, we're going to start in that, to look at these teachings, these discourses in chapters 1 through 9, and then these lessons will set us up for the Proverbs that follow. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 1, we'll start in verse 8 and read through the end of chapter 1. Proverbs 1, starting in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive, and whole, like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods, we shall fill our houses with plunder, Throw in your lot among us. We'll all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain, it takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. All right, well, for our outline this morning, two basic points. First point, two wise warnings. Second point, two different responses. So first we're going to see two wise warnings, and then we're going to see two different responses to those warnings. So first, two wise warnings. Let's look again at our passage. Now, if you look at it, the, this passage I just read, I think it's pretty clearly split up into two parts, right? 
So there in verses 8 through 19, we see a lesson from a father to his son. And then in verses 20 to 33, we see a cry from woman wisdom to the public at large. And, and as we read these sections, both of them present warnings to us. In verse 8, it's the son who's warned. And in verse 22, it's the simple person. Now, when Proverbs talks about people who are simple, it doesn't mean people who are plain, or, or even necessarily people who aren't educated. It means those who are naive, vulnerable, those who are young, immature, those who need to be persuaded to take the path of wisdom, not the path of foolishness. Because if these simple ones, these, these naive, uh, shapeable people are not warned and taught, they're going to end up on the wrong path. And as we look at these two sections, I think we find that the Father's instructions and the words of woman wisdom are not really that different. In fact, as we read Proverbs, we find that woman wisdom seems to be a personification, a sort of representation or illustration of this Father's teachings. They're one and the same. So then why go to all the effort of making up sort of this fictitious person? This, why picture wisdom as a woman? Well, I think there might be multiple reasons to consider for that, but one that sticks out to me is that you know, who's the addressee in these first nine chapters? It's a young man, right? He's on the cusp of adulthood. Uh, here a father is counseling his son about going out into the world. And he knows that his son's going to be interested in women. And so he's counseling his, his son about one woman in particular he should pursue. So he should not listen to the woman called Folly. Or pursue the forbidden women. We'll see more on them later. There's one woman who will prove to be quite the catch, and it's wisdom. It's this sort of female representation of all his father and mother's wisdom. And it's ultimately the wise instruction of the Lord himself. So, who's woman wisdom? Woman wisdom is meant to be a personification, a representation of the truth of this wise father's words. The words of Proverbs that we'll see in the coming months. And most ultimately, God's words. God's wisdom itself. And remember, as we saw last week, Proverbs may be addressed to a young man primarily. But as we saw last week, Proverbs, it seems, kind of leaves it more open-ended than it would need to. And I think we can come to Proverbs and know that the ultimate audience is all of us. All who would truly seek the Lord and live a God-word life. Wisdom cries out to all of you. So with that said, what's going on in these two parts of chapter 1? So a father is speaking truth to his son. A woman called Wisdom is shouting truth out to the masses in the marketplace. And we listen to both. And what we hear from both this morning are warnings. Warnings to listen closely to the words of God's wisdom. To obey them. To draw near to the Lord in right fear and right love of him. So as to follow his wisdom and avoid the path of evil. So look at verse 8. His father tells his son to hear his instruction and forsake not his mother's teaching. So as you read that, 
probably what comes to your mind first are your parents, right? And that might be a good place to start out, particularly if your parents love God and love you and are walking humbly with the Lord, and especially when you're young and in their home. But I think for all of us, more broadly, especially those of us who have parents who do not give good counsel, more broadly, I think these verses show us the benefits of listening to the instruction of Proverbs that woman wisdom represents, that the Father is teaching, and indeed all God's word, right? So that instruction then leads us to verse 10, where this father puts forward a hypothetical situation for his son to consider. He's like, okay, son, you're going to go out in the world. What's going to happen? How are you going to act when sinners come along and entice you to join them? Look at verse 11. Here, the father's getting creative. He's actually playing, like role-playing these sinners and using their voice. He says, if they say, come with us. Let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Verse 13. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. You can feel the, the call. Some of you are like, I, mean, I don't know, like, will this guy really go in for all-out murder? But there's more to this than that. There's, there's riches, quick. There's, there's belonging. There's the, the team. There's the gang. Verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with them. So the father is urging his son to hold back from that path. Why? Well, it's the path of foolishness, yes. But what's even more, I think, persuasive is that it's going to end up in death. Even worse, it's the path of death. So to show the damage that comes from taking this path, the father gets more detail about what happens when these fools actually find what they're looking for. Right? Look at verse 17. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, the father says, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. So he's getting creative again. He tells his son, imagine trying to trap a bird, right? I mean, if you set up that trap right in front of the watching bird, that, that would be ignorant. Because the bird's going to totally avoid that trap now that he's seen it sprung right there. He's going to know it's there. But then he uses that illustration. He says, but for these sinners, they will be trapped in the trap they set up for others. They will be ignorant. They will follow their foolish path even if it leads to the grave. Because they see the promise of fun, excitement, quick wealth. He says they're just going to pursue it all the way to destruction. And so the father's warning to his son is loud and clear. Do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, verse 15. That's the first wise warning we see in this passage. And then for the second warning, we need to look to woman wisdom and her speech in verses 20 to 33. As we start out in that section of our text, we see woman wisdom ain't shy, right? So she doesn't keep her appeal quiet. Whereas the father is probably sitting with his son in their house, wisdom, woman wisdom, is going out to the thoroughfare of the city. There in verse 20, she shouts out loud in the streets and goes to the busy marketplaces to cry out her warning. And she yells, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? 
How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? And then in verse 23, she offers these simple ones, these naive people being wooed by evil, another option. She says, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. There's an offer. There's only two paths really to take. And wisdom's saying, please choose me. She goes on then to make it clear that if they continue on in their folly, they will be destroyed. But if they hear her cry and listen, they will receive her spirit and understand her words and then live. All right, those are the two wise warnings. What's going to be the response? Second, final point this morning are two different responses. And the first response is that of the stubborn sinner. The stubborn sinner. And we see this stu stubborn rebellion even in the evil men of the first section, don't we? So these thieves, these murderers, who have sold themselves to sin, go into it so stubbornly and happily that they don't even seem to see or maybe even care if they perish. But they will. Their end is sure. Verse 19, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain, says this father. It takes away the life of its possessors. So even when they find it, even when they stop singing with you too that they haven't found what they're looking for and they find it, kills them. This stubborn sin, though, is even more obvious in woman wisdom's speech in verses 20 to 33. In her cry, she addresses stubborn sinners who just love being simple. They just love sin. It's delightful. It's enjoyable. And for those folks, her cry comes barging in like that loud ringtone in a theater, when a movie's at a suspenseful, quiet point. It's so unwelcome. It's rattling. It's unnecessary. It rocks their boat. Verse 22, they hate it. Verse 24, they refuse to listen. They do not heed wisdom's outstretched hand. Verse 25, they ignore her counsel. Down in verse 29, they hate knowledge. They have not chosen the fear of the Lord. Remember last week we were introduced to this idea of the fear of the Lord, which is the foundation of Proverbs, because it's the foundation of wisdom. Remember we said fear of the Lord is not like a, a, a starting line where you run the race and you leave it behind. Fear of the Lord is like a foundation of a building that you build on. Throughout Proverbs, these two words, wisdom and knowledge, are closely related. So to know truly, to have true wisdom, must start with knowing God and having the right view of Him in fear and love, which often go hand in hand. Because if God is God, if God is the creator of all things, then if we would really know truth, if we would really know the reason this world exists and how to live well in it, we must know the creator of it. 
And that's why wisdom starts with fear of God. Humble bending beneath his will. True knowledge and wisdom start with God because everything true starts with God. But these simple, stubborn sinners, they're on the path of foolishness, and the fool lives like there is no God. Does that ring a bell? That's what David says in Psalm 14. He says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool lives like all he sees is right in front of him. Life is this horizontal plane only. Him, his friends, his pleasures, his wealth. There's no vertical relationship with any sort of God whatsoever. There's no accountability, no law, no judgment day. David in Proverbs would echo, say, that is foolish. And the end of that path, Proverbs is desperate to tell us, is death. Look at verse 26. These are pretty hard words. Woman wisdom sounds like somebody you really need to hear, but you don't really want to have coffee with. She says, once the simple person has spurned her completely, he will meet his end. And what's she going to do? I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. This isn't mean-spirited. This is the same idea of God in Psalm 2 laughing at those who had set themselves up against him. It's the idea of where did you think you would go? Look who's won in the end. Verse 28, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. Just like the thieves of verses 10 through 19, these simple fools will walk headlong into a destruction of their own making. So This passage is full of irony. Look at verse 31. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. That's what they wanted, right? But what's it going to do to them? For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Such is the end of the stubborn sinner. He is stubborn to his grave. And after the grave, when everything is clear, and truth seems so real, and he begs for mercy, it's too late. But, but Proverbs desperately wants us to know there's another way to respond to the wise warnings of this passage. You do not need to be the stubborn sinner. There's another way to hear God's truth and respond to receive life, not death. And that response is not that of the stubborn sinner, but of the humble hearer. The humble hearer. And that's what this passage is trying to persuade each and every one of us to be, friends. When you hear the words of God's wisdom, this passage is saying to each one of us, listen, please listen. Spare yourself a world of hurt, even an eternity of judgment, and listen to me. And that's what the Father is saying in verse 8, right? He's saying, hear, my son, and that word hear in the original language carries this idea of obedience. It's not just hearing to hear, but it's hearing to obey. The humble hearer will be one who, verse 23, turns at woman wisdom's warning and listens. 
His path will not end in destruction, like that of the stubborn sinner, but will lead to life and security. Look at verse 33. Woman wisdom says, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Two wise warnings. Two different responses. And that's our first look at the lessons of Proverbs 1 through 9. Right here, the outset of these discourses that will take us for the next few months, we're presented with a choice. Will we listen to the warnings of the wise, or will we neglect them and continue in our own desires until we meet our death? Friend, consider your path. For those of us who are Christians, Here's one way to think about this. Consider, for, for one thing, how you approach God's word when you come to read it. Whether that's in your personal devotions during the week or together as a church like this setting here. Do you come to your Bible as a sort of morale boost? A shot of spiritual caffeine so you can get back to real life? Or do you come to it as the ultimate authority over that life? Did you come in judgment over God's word, picking and choosing what to obey, what to reject on any certain day? Or do you allow God's word to stand in judgment over you? See, there's a way to approach God's wisdom in pride, and there's a way to approach it as a humble hearer. Christian, commit to coming to God's word like a patient coming to a trusted physician saying, here I am, doctor. Here I am, Lord. Examine me. Diagnose me. Treat me. I need your wisdom. I trust you, whatever you say. It's that kind of humble hearing of God's wise warnings that will strengthen you to reject the enticement of sin we see in verse 10. It's that kind of humble hearing of God's wise warnings that will soften your hearts to grow in grace. And friends, it's that kind of humble hearing of God's wise warnings that none of you have in your sin. See, in our sin, to listen and humbly and obey God is the last thing we want to do. We don't want to be humble. We want to be God. We want to show him who's boss. We want to slam the door in his face. And we do. Again and again and again. But you know what? What we see throughout the Bible is that God, like woman wisdom, graciously invites us to turn from our sin and rebellion. And what's more, he not only invites us, but he actually gives us the ability to respond in faith. Something we could never do without his help. See, God can offer us grace because he has offered us his son. In John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, we read about Jesus, the very wisdom of God incarnate, coming into the world of fools like you and me, stubborn sinners, hell-bent for our own destruction, blind and not caring if that's where we're going. And what do we do? Do we hear? John says Jesus came to the world and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. 
So far from responding in humility, we doubled down in stubborn sin, and we rejected the Savior of the world all the way to nailing him on the cross. But in that moment, God the judge secured the salvation of all who would turn to him. On the cross, God the judge punished Jesus for your sin. If you will repent, if you will hear his call and turn in faith. If you do that, you will never be judged for your sin. You will never face hell. You will be forgiven, made whole, made a child of God. And Christian, in Christ, you have a soft heart. Your hard heart has been surgically removed, your spiritual hard heart, and replaced with a soft one that responds to God. You can now grow in humility and obedience and wisdom, and I hope you can see ways you are. But here's the application for you this morning. How warnable are you? It's not a word, but you get the idea. How well do you heed God's warnings in your life? Sometimes they come to you through his word. Sometimes they'll come to you through godly friends, spouses, parents, even children. Sometimes they come to you in your own conscience. How do you respond? Remember, not all warnings you hear are going to be wise. But as you hear the warnings and, the, and you compare them to God's word and you rely on the Holy Spirit's opening your eyes to understand God's truth, you will receive these warnings to go on the path of the wise, not the fool. So when that happens, what's your response? Is it to become defensive because it's poking at your pride? Like, I'm older than you. You wait until you're my age, and then I'll be older than you again. See, I never have to listen. I wonder, where might you be dismissing wise warnings in your life today? Is there perhaps something that several people have challenged you on in the past few years that you just repeatedly dismissed? So it's come up from different kinds of people, but you just keep dismissing it. Well, the wise path might be to bring that up again. Call those people up. Invite them into your space. And ask them to help you graciously evaluate your heart so you can actually keep growing in the path of wisdom. And friends, there's no better place to do that than in the local church. Than with brothers and sisters you've covenanted together with in a community of believers like this one. The way of wisdom hears wise warnings and pays attention. And one last application that I think we can take from this text is that this passage should remind us as Christians of the great privilege and responsibility we have to share the gospel with those around us who are stubbornly lost in sin. See, just like us, they need the gift of God's grace if they're going to have their stubborn darkness broken through and light shine in. And the window of opportunity for them to repent and turn to Christ will not always be open. So will you speak wise warnings to them? Will you tell them how sin will never satisfy but only lead to death? Will you tell them that there is life and eternal pleasures 
forevermore in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, you have made us new, and we can't wait till you glorify us at your return. But this side of heaven, we still wander off the path of wisdom. As we're singing a moment, we're prone to wander and we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. So thank you for saving us and for giving us the book of Proverbs that speaks wise warnings to our hearts. Please help us pay attention. Bind our wandering hearts to you. Take and seal them. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus, the only all-wise one who came to die for fools like us so that we might be saved. We pray that you hear our praises now from joyful lips in Jesus' name.